0: Hello and welcome back to Blue Royalty, a London is Blue show, all about the Chelsea women's team. Chelsea making a victorious start to their Champions League campaign with a gritty, I think is the word I'm going to use, 1-0 win over Paris Saint-Germain at the Stade Jean Boulin. Joining me to discuss Chelsea's triumph and return to Europe's best football competition is Rob Prattley, who we've had on the show several times before, so you should know who he is by now. Rob, how are you doing?
1: Yeah, not too bad. I think it's infinitely better having won the opening game, I think is the best way to describe it.
0: Yeah, I think when last season, when we played that first game against Wolfsburg, I was kind of like, oh, this is what the Champions League group stages is like. And I didn't feel too worried. But I think when I was leaving the stadium last night, I was like, that is three very, very important points for
1: us. Yeah, no, definitely. I was I was at the Wolfsburg game last year, and I remember it being a great game of football and fantastic for the neutral. But everything you don't really want in a home Champions League match.
0: Exactly, exactly. Um, so there's a couple of things that we're going to talk about today as we we go through the game, um, playing on turf. astroturf I guess I've got it from the Americans they just call it turf um but I think we need to talk about that because I think you can't really talk about the context of how this match played out without talking about that and why that's happening we'll also have a chat about maybe a bit of a debate whether it was like Chelsea were showing great control and this was a great tactical approach or they were just Fucking dull. Uh, I think Rob and I might share a similar opinion on that, but I know that's been uh, something that's been talked about a bit. And also, we've got to talk about. I think Millie Bright is is a player I want to pick out and have a chat about in a bit more detail. It's been an interesting week for her. It's a great performance last night, and um, I think she's going to win the Golden Boot. So, Uh, (laughs) but first, as always, we're going to get into a three-word match review. We got so many of these, which was really lovely because you know I know often at the weekends the men and the women like you know this weekend if they're on at the same time people end up being split but I think it was so cool to see last night like everyone really behind the women and watching the game um so Ishan bringing back a familiar phrase on London is blue why not us and I agree because we all know I'm a big fan of manifestation at this point so why not us uh, some Lots of Millie-themed ones that I loved, um, from Pippa, Golden Boot Bright, from Mega Hearn, Millie Legend Bright. Caleb Seekins, She's Millie Bright Side. I really like that. I feel like we should be singing that more. Um, Enoch's Bright Next Brighton, which is good because then you find out what our next fixture is. Some other ones uh, from Chels 4 for Jake, Erin Pocketed Paris, and John our Fashionable Parisian Sojourn. I don't know if I said that last word right, but Rob, I'm coming to you. What is your three-word match review?
1: Classic away performance.
0: That sums it up, really, doesn't it?
1: Mm. It was really... I was really happy with yesterday again. I find it very hard to find people that weren't happy as I know we're going to come on to, but what about yourself? What was your three-word review? I
0: think I'm just going to go with done and dusted. It was a game we had to play. We went there, we did it, it went about as well as it could have gone. You know, I was just watching Jonas Adevel's press conference and people were asking him about the Lyon win. Obviously Arsenal beat Leon 5-1 if, if anyone didn't know. And he just said, well, at the end of the day, it's, it's three points. And I think if he can say that about what kind of was a really like exciting win, we can also say that about a boring win. So mm. there we go. <laughs> Done and dusted. But we are, of course, we're talking about the game away uh, at Paris Saint-Germain, which was played on Thursday, the 20th of September? September? October, what is wrong with me? (laughs) Guys, I've been travelling around France and I'm quite tired. Uh, This was the Women's Champions League and it was played at Stade Jean Boulin à Paris. We won 1-0, Millie Bright goal in the 27th minute. I'll just quickly run through the teams. Lika Martins was ruled out for PSG with illness, which I think was a really big blow for them. And, And Fran didn't travel for us because she's also been ill, so... We went with AKB in goal, a back four of Ericsson, Buchanan, Bright and Mielder, Sophie Ingle at the base of midfield with Aaron Cuthbert and Peniela Harder, head of her, and then Guru Rice, Sam Kerr and Neve Charles as a front three. Rob, what are your initial thoughts about this formation?
1: It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I kind of feel that it's almost one of those ones that's been selected to try and get all three of those centre-backs in, um, because I think they're, you know, the best centre-backs at the club while also not playing for traditional back three because it doesn't really... We don't really have the wing-backs to do it at the moment. Um, I do think it offers a lot more stability in the midfield, and I think that was a big part of sort of yesterday. I Actually, the player, I thought, had a really underrated performance yesterday, and it was more sort of what she stopped the opponent doing as opposed to what she did was Nim Charles, because I think Charles sitting in that position on the wing, it really shut down uh, the ability... I suppose, of Prestigman to really use that wing because whenever she was sort of pressed up, she was quite high. And that meant they were having to try and go behind and Mara Mielda was able to sort of mop up and Millie Bright was able to sort of mop up really well. But I think it was a good formation for an away game where you didn't actually expect to dominate possession.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think Ingle is a player who I was actually really keen to see come in because I just felt like she would add some stability maybe to the midfield Mm -hmm. that I think was going to be really important and I think what kind of struck me as well even with the choice around Charles and I think we'll talk about Charles in a bit more detail as we come in but it felt like all of this team was about experience and Neve Charles isn't someone who's necessarily got a lot of minutes recently but you know she did play in that run to the the final kind of by necessity but it was interesting that she was picked over say a Lauren James who hasn't had Champions League minutes, or a Red, who I think has been really bright, but, you know, hasn't had that time with us as well. So yeah. Mielda equally coming in for Eve Perisset, again, it felt like Chelsea were like, OK, we just want players who are going to stay calm because they've been here before. And that is something that we've not seen from Chelsea in the past, right? There's been an aura of panic occasionally around our Champions
1: League performances. Precisely that. I think that was kind of what I got from that back sort of fall that you had there. All of them have experience of going a long way in the competition. Obviously, Buchanan has won it, I think, multiple times. Brighton Eriksson have both played, you know, semi-finals and finals. Marami Elda has been in the runs where we've gone to semi-finals and finals. It, you know, it was a lot of experience in burger as well. It was that experience I think we've at times maybe lacked before because last year obviously we sort of had Jess Carter coming in and she has some Champions League experience, but not necessarily the most recent Champions League experience. And you had Nowon coming in and she obviously had very limited Champions League experience. Um, whereas this sort of back four was sort the of one that had, you know, been there and done that.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I think, you know, over the course of the game, that that did really show, especially when we were looking at PSG team who, you know, they, they've got experienced players, but they've, they've also had their problems, obviously, with, yeah, Martins out, Kototo as a as a long-term absentee, and, and also Paulina Dudek as a long-term absentee for them as well. Just some stats from the game, PSG, six shots to our 15, only one shot on target for PSG, which is, honestly I can't even remember what it was, to our four. As Rob kind of hinted at, PSG did get the bulk of possession, 61% to our 39%, nine fouls for them, 11 for us. This referee in this game was hilarious. If the game was boring, I was just laughing at the referee for a large amount of time because she, the way she blew her whistle, like it was so much main character energy. I don't know if that came across on the telly. Uh,
1: uh, well, uh, what was surprising to me was that in the first half, she seemed to be very, very much keen on blowing up on appsy everything. And like you know, giving every single little foul. And then the second half, she seemed to just stop doing that completely. It was a sort of weird, inconsistent refereeing, which is, you know, nothing new. But yeah, she did seem to enjoy, you know, her chances when she got a chance in the spotlight. And I was surprised the number of times she spoke to players for fouls that should have been yellow cards. And then later on, would, you know, just keep doing the exact same thing. I think it was, you know, Jean-Francois, I think, in the midfield got away with about nine fouls yesterday, just perpetually, perpetually fouling. And how uh, Aaron Cuthbert didn't see a booking at some point as well. I'm, you know, I'm not really sure what sort of the referee was on there, but yeah, it was a, you know, they didn't make any major errors. So I suppose we probably chalk that up as a success.
0: Yeah. And I think it was a tough game. It was quite a, a niggly game in that sense. There was yeah. a lot of players kind of going in on each other. And again, maybe that the, the pitch has something to do, to do with that too. Um, Opta giving the expected goals as 1.19 to Chelsea, 0.21 to PSG. And I think that is something to bear in mind as well, is that there we could have come out of this game, I think, winning two or three now with the with the chances we had. Um, Sam Kerr is still, still not looking quite right, bless her. I actually thought... And this is classic Sam Kerr. She... Lots of the off-the-ball stuff she did and the hold-up play she did was, was really, really good. Um, but
1: it just feels like, at the moment, she can't
0: score for Toffey. Yeah.
1: It, it feels like... Uh, I sort of said this to It feels a bit like we're almost getting the Sankar at the beginning of her Chelsea career again, in that she was playing well, and it wasn't as if, you know... I, I did think towards the end, maybe, she did flag a little bit. I think that was just due to tiredness. I think both her and Panilla Harder looked tired, because they spent a lot of time being the first player press. Um, but I do I, I do certainly think with Kerr, it's going to be one of those situations. There will be a game at some point where it will just click and she will score a hat-trick. But I think the longer and longer that goes on, the more and more you've got good arguments to say, do we give Beth England a run in the side? Because, you know, when you consistently give her minutes, she does consistently score. Um, and I think that'll be very interesting for, especially for Saturday when I don't think Kerr's can't remember if Kerr's scored many against Brighton. I don't think she's got that many. Whereas Beth England, I know, has got several against Brighton. Um, I will tell you, Sam
0: Kerr definitely has one because she scored in that game we
1: lost. Yeah, well, well, that's that one. And I think she also got that header last year in the home game where Walsh came flying off her line and didn't get there. But I I kind of just feel it'd be good to see Beth England get a start or even, you know, maybe put Lauren James or even JRK up front. I, I would really like to see JRK start on Sunday. I, you know, I'm very much now in the JRK fan club. Yeah, uh,
0: really good. Uh, she came on for a little uh, demo at the end and she immediately just took the energy levels up so much. Um, hmm. Another Another great performance off the bench for her. And I assume it won't be long until we are seeing her maybe get a start. But we are going to take a quick ad break. Thanks to all our sponsors for supporting the show. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what a rubbish pitch it was. So be back in a minute. All right, guys, just as a quick note, as we said at the weekend, we have our own feed now. So there is a Blue Royalty feed that sits separate from the rest of the London is Blue stuff. At the moment, we're cross-posting our episodes, but that's not going to go on forever. So if you're listening to us of the London is Blue feed, go head over to Blue Royalty. Make sure you're subscribed. Give us a rating um, and just help us get the word out about, about doing things a bit separate. It means that we're going to be able to make so much more content. We've got some really exciting stuff lined up, being able to cover all the extra games. You know, last year there just wasn't room for us to even be talking about the Champions League game straight after. So this is just one of the extra things that we're able to do um, and it's really exciting for us. So, yeah, make sure you're you're subscribed and you're rating us. But this pitch... This pitch, um, Rob. How are we playing Champions League matches? Not you know, not only against teams because I understand that for some clubs where you maybe got less money, there is value in having a pitch like this. If we were in Vlatsnia, maybe I would feel differently about this issue. But we are playing Paris Saint Germain, one of the rich- richest clubbers in the world. How is it acceptable that it's on an artificial?
1: pitch i have to admit again i did watch the last game um just to find out a little bit about them and actually see you know what they. and i was incredibly impressed by the facilities that they've got there considering that there isn't as much money in there i looked at the pitch there and i'm i then looked at the game here and i thought a for a couple of questions firstly why was it not at the Parc de prance um because as far as i'm aware Paris Saint-Germain i don't think they even have a game i, I don't they I don't think they've got a league game again until sunday they obviously haven't had champions league football this week i don't believe there's been any french cup football there was no reason they couldn't do it at the Parc de france but that's more of a general sort of logistics point of view but yeah the it i said it took you know the reason why the first 10 minutes was dull at least was just because it took 10 minutes for everyone to get used to the artificial pitch because the ball was there was no ball speed whatsoever and again passing accuracy it was impossible to judge anything especially longer passes over the top where you might bank on the fact that you know a slick turf you're going to get a bit of a, a ball spin on it it was just going dead And I think that's also partly that didn't help Paris and Germain, because when they wanted to try and play balls in behind and over the top, it was just going dead. And you weren't really getting any chance of the defender having to sort of panic or sort of, you know, rush back on the turf, because you knew exactly what it was going to do. It was just going to bounce harmlessly through. Um, But yeah, it was just such a poor, you know, it, it shouldn't be allowed, especially for a game of that quality. I do feel that while I don't think both teams necessarily were at their best. I think they weren't helped by that and you aren't going to see the quality there. I'm sure you're going to get some arguments saying, yes, well, look at how Barcelona play on artificial pitches, look at how Bayern play on artificial pitches, but I think you have to, you know, take into the magnitude of the fixture. I remember watching, I think it was uh, one of the quarter, one of the semi finals last year featuring PSG, on said artificial pitch, and it looked like such a, such a poor game because of, you know, everything just being stopped and it became so stop-start and bitty and I don't think that's, you know, what we want to see at all.
0: Yeah, just on that pass accuracy point, you know, Chelsea's par- pass accuracy was down to 72%, which for us is incredibly low, really. Um, PSG is a bit higher at 83%, but they obviously play on this pitch regularly. So they're, of course, kind of more familiar with it. But yeah, as, as you touched on there, Rob, there were just so many moments early on, especially when we were kind of trying to put together a quick breaks, so where it was just obvious that the judgment around the passes mm. was just totally wrong and yeah the weather didn't help either it was pretty miserable in paris to be honest um but there's the, there's a the tactical issue around that um Ollie glanville just tweeting about it you're seeing world class players having to check their runs and take extra two touches just to control the ball not good enough and that that sums it up but there's there's another issue here right rob there's there's an injury problem you know a tweet from from madeline dove saying This is dangerous for players whose bodies are not accustomed to playing on turf. When we know women already have a high instance of lower limb injuries, it's absolutely unacceptable. So it even goes beyond how Mm. people are playing. It's that the players are are almost at risk here, right?
1: Precisely. And I think especially when you've got people like, for example, Katoto when she comes back after her injury, they're going to have to manage that so, so well and manage that so, so much because playing after an ACL and, you know, not having a recurrence of it is difficult. Doing it on an artificial pitch when you're then also having to bounce between, you know, I assume all the other teams in France play on grass, I don't necessarily know, but I'm assuming most of them play on grass pitches. Having to bounce between that and artificial turf and then also training, you know, they train on grass pitches, which is also what I don't understand. Um, it, Yeah, it just, you know, it seemed bizarre. And I, I, you know, I was really glad that we didn't see a bad injury yesterday to any player but it did feel at any point and maybe that was kind of a good thing why the pace of the game was so slow it did feel that you know if the pace got up or the intensity got up there was just a bad injury waiting to happen
0: yeah yeah um yeah it's not acceptable and I don't I don't understand why they allow it to continue but let's talk a bit about the game itself and and the content of the game lots of people were saying this match was boring which it was but I think we both think Chelsea wanted it to be boring right they wanted to be in control they wanted to make sure there wasn't the kind of situation that we saw last year where suddenly you're conceding loads of goals on the break PSG we know they've got that threat and I actually thought when they looked at their best last night it was Faser basically really running at Mielder um that was pretty much their only threat, and Kacaui as well. Mm. So I feel like this was Chelsea choosing to slow stuff down, right, Rob?
1: Yeah. I I think Chelsea's selection was maybe in mind for not knowing if Laker Martins was ill. I think that's why they doubled up on that right-hand side. Now, I will say, from a neutral point of view, I was really sad not to see Laker Martins on the pitch. I think she's a phenomenal player. I'm really glad she's left. Barcelona and got out of the shadow of some of the players at Barcelona because I don't think she got the respect that she necessarily deserves and warrants for the quality players from a Chelsea point of view I was delighted to not see Lake Martins on the pitch because it's one of those situations where it kind of reminds me again when Chelsea don't have Canilla Harder Harder has that aura and that presence around her that whenever she gets the ball you get defenders fall into two schools of thought I think either they get really really tight and they end up just giving away silly fouls getting booked you know getting sent off or alternatively just, you know, being made that mug off or alternatively, they drop off and drop off and drop off. And they give so much space for harder to pick passes or to take shots on. And I don't necessarily think Chelsea at times make the most of that, you know, aura that players do have. It sounds a strange thing, but you do see players with this aura. Again, one of the examples I can think of um, in the Winslow is Alexia. Like no one ever dares try and get close to Alexia because they know they're either just going to get embarrassed or she's just going to breeze past them as if they weren't there. So there's no point trying to press hard. But I do think it was very interesting that Chelsea wanted to stop any fast start. And even in the early minutes, when they had chances maybe to counter-attack at pace or to sort of stretch the game, they chose not to. And I think that was part of, you know, the game plan of keeping it controlled because it meant PSG had to eventually start bringing the line further up the pitch to try and press high themselves. And then suddenly that space ended up in behind that numerous times Curr did manage to exploit. And with better finishing on... Or you know, on another day, she maybe ends up with two or three goals herself.
0: Yeah, I think the when you're talking about the the counterattacks, the the player I was really noticing around that was Neep Charles. Obviously, a shame for her that there was no Lika starting, so she could get kind of some revenge with her, that Champions League final potentially. But you know, I guess it's Charles is someone who I find so hard to to pitch for her. It, it, or understand where she fits into this Chelsea side. You know, 18 months ago, she's starting the Champions League final. Mm. Then she only started one game in the group stages last year, the home game against the And now she's here, quite surprisingly, I, I think, against against PSG.
1: Mm.
0: What do you make of Charles's role in the team right now?
1: She's probably like the hardest player, I think, when it comes to asking me what her position is. Because I kind of feel she's got that, you know, the poison chalice of that you can put her anywhere and she can do a job. But I don't necessarily think you get the most out of her when you play her, say, on the wing, unless you're specifically looking for a situation to try and, you know, shut players down and shut opposition down. I think, for example, she could be really good in, say, a game against Manchester City. If you wanted to shut Lauren Hemp down, you have her and a fullback behind them. I think they then have to probably swap to the other wing or, you know, Hemp probably moves to the other wing and you maybe get her on a, I say, weaker foot. Not a strong foot because it's not, you know, there's very little things as weaker foots for top-top players. Um, but yeah, I, I, honestly, I don't know. I, I look at Charles and I sort of wonder, in reality, if the sort of big question they're in Charles, in a similar way with Jess Carter, I think, in the last couple of years, is finding that best position for her. I think they've maybe now got there with Jess Carter. Because I think her best position is as a centre-back and I think she can play her in a three or two. But I almost kind of feel with Nim Charles, they've not really got that point yet. And there will be one game again at some point where she will just play a role and it will look perfect. And then she'll play another role in that game, uh, in the next game, and she'll look perfect. And it will slowly, you know, suddenly the position will sort of fall, the pieces will sort of all fall together. But it's kind of harsh because I think she's a top young player. But suddenly you realise you get to a point, I think she turns twenty three. This year you're getting to a point now where you have to stop talking about like potential and start talking about consistent performances.
0: Well, I guess another player we, we've seen about that, who we can talk about next, is is Erin Cuthbert, right? She's someone who it felt like she was really not benefiting from well, she was getting minutes, but it was kind of anywhere because she could do do a job anywhere. And we've seen her really nail down a starting position. In the midfield, although where exactly that is, is still a bit different. I think what we're starting to see is for games where Chelsea are coming up against better opponents, we're going to get kind of Ingle and Cuthbert together, and for games where Chelsea are less worried about being attacked on, we're going to maybe get Cuthbert in the deeper role and you know Fleming and whoever else in there. But, um, Cuthbert's Stats against PSG, one assist, most chances created, four, most tackles, one, five, most interceptions, seven, most recoveries, 13, most jewels, one eleven 11, most fouls, one, two. Zachira Musevich tweeting after the game, Aaron Cuthbert, that's the tweet, and then a gif of Zachira Hoovering. Not quite sure the relevance between the gif. Hoovering up the play, there we go, you got it. Yeah, that was that was really confusing me, so I'm glad you've clarified yeah, that me, for me. Me, me,
1: and, me and Z just have that same meme brain. Oh, like, okay, yeah, you you're on the on same, same level. level. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I think something that I, I find interesting about this performance from Erin is that does almost being in more of the eight role, not in the deep lying role, allow her to to hoover up more mm. than than maybe she can do when she's kind of being expected to be the base of that midfield?
1: Yeah, definitely. I, I think, you know, I personally think that, my, my again, we obviously saw her last night. I think if Chelsea can get Gioro in in January, I don't think she just had her best game yesterday, but I also think that was because she was trying to play the eight role against Cuthbert. I think if you get Gioro in and you maybe sit her at the base of that, you then have Cuthbert as one of the eights and maybe Harder as another eight in games against lesser opposition, and then maybe in games against tougher opposition, you sit and you put both Giora and Cuthbert sort of in that central axle. You've got an incredible midfield. I mean, yeah, Cuthbert's just reaching a new sort of level and pantheon of sort of performances. It's the consistency, I think, that's so impressive. I compare it kind of in the men's game to when Conte was at the peak of his powers um, for Chelsea, and you just got every game, and you knew every single match that, when you were talking about whoever the player of the match was going to be, Conte was inevitably going to be up there just because of the stats he sort of posted. And I think you're now seeing that look up, but And also from this role, I think maybe more so from the wingback role, you're also getting the benefit of her being in and around the box, being able to shoot, being able to, you know, end up in situations like yesterday with the assistant with the cross um, and getting more maybe out of it than you were in the wingback role but because she was going up and down so, so much. I think you were almost burning her out a little bit.
0: Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely know what you mean. And I think also, again, like the Kante comparison is interesting because I always think, you know, his attacking play is something that has been underrated in terms of what he offers. And then that, it, that is, it's more that box-to-box thing. And not to mention that Aaron Cuthbert actually a much better finisher than N'Golo mm. Kante. So that helps as well. Um, but another player I want to come on to, which uh, came from an, a tweet from at Bella CFC, which I thought was interesting. But... The two matches Maren Mielder has started this season are the only two matches that Chelsea have kept a clean sheet in against Man City and PSG. Coincidence? I think not. But it's an interesting point, right? Like, it's funny that... And maybe the answer to this is that she just doesn't have the legs on her to play, you know, two, three games a week, week in, week out. And so Chelsea are kind of reserving her for these most important games. But clearly... At the moment, the the player who's seen as the best right back
1: is is presumably Maren Mielder, right? I, I feel she's probably getting the nod for these games at the moment because she's got that extra experience and they're kind of almost, while they're trying to bed Buchanan in a little bit still, they've almost got that extra, you know, solidity um, through Mielder playing and Mielder sort of being in that right-back role, you know that Bright can sort of mainly stay in her centre-back role and she can mainly cover for Buchanan when Buchanan does decide she wants to go on the venture and go storming out from the back, um, as we've seen numerous times to varying degrees of success. I do also think, you know, people forget what a good player Mara Mielder is. Obviously, last year was pretty much a write-off due to the knee injury, but before that, we were talking about someone who, you know, pretty much consistently had that right-back spot locked down. And, you know, as her and Anderson were pretty much consistently starting week in, week out, and they were the preferred sort of selection. And one of the sort of big what ifs I think people do have about that Champions League final is what if Chelsea had been able to name Marami Elder on that day? Would they have looked more defensively solid? Because the first goal that day came from Neem panicking early on, giving the ball away, and then there's the effort that comes in, obviously deflects the fluopoles, and you can't really, you know, legislate from that. But I almost think that kind of it didn't completely like decimate Charles's mentality because you know she's not that sort of player but it obviously did have a big effect as you do in finals because that's the nature of it. Um, I do think people yeah it, I think you know if you can manage her minutes for big games I think you've got a very good big game player and also just as a caveat an extra player in those big games if you get a penalty and you need to decide a game a big game on a penalty you know it sounds silly but you would back meel sort of 99 times out of a 100 to put it away.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Mielda is... We've talked about how many penalty takers there are at the club, but she would still be my first choice because I don't think I've ever seen her take a bad one. Uh, and I think it's great as well. Like, I really... I worried for... What? Yeah, I did worry for her that that coming back from the injury that she wouldn't ever kind of reach the level that she was at. And I think it's really pleasing to see that she clearly has retained all that. And I think something that's really... Yeah underrated about her is her positioning and there were a couple of moments last night where she did almost get caught out on her and Neve's relationship I didn't think was quite right but you know like Karchowie is I think like a very very good fullback so I think to generally you know even when they were maybe getting caught out Mielder's positioning is so good as she knows where to shepherd those players and where to put her body so even if the player's gone beyond her they're not then getting like a dangerous
1: yeah, ball besides. into the
0: box and I think that's something that's like quite underrated about how we assess defensive players because often we can just be like oh the tackles or the recoveries or things like that but it's that positioning that can allow you even if you're not maybe physically as adept as you once were to still excel yeah. right that's like the Thiago Silva stuff in some way
1: I was just going to say that like i again you know every time I watch it, i still live. it's when you watch football live I'm sure you'll agree you get a different perception on certain things and it's that ability and that footballing brain that certain players have just to... There were a couple of times yesterday um, on sort of fast breaks where Mielda was always dropping in and breaking the line a little bit and breaking the offside trap so she could anticipate that first pass when it was coming through. And rather than try and catch the player offside, which has limited sort of success, she was just able to, you know, shepherd the attacks down and break it down. And obviously, I mean, obviously giving a clean sheet, it's a good defensive performance.
0: Yeah, 100%. Um... I think broadly it was... Uh, I didn't think PSG offered a huge amount, but, you know... And I think with Lika out, it was always going to be be a bit of a different story. But to, to go away and just get that, I think it will give, I think it will give this team a lot of confidence. Um, mm. Some quotes from Paul Green after the game. We're absolutely delighted to get a win away from home against a tough opponent like PSG. And to keep a clean sheet is fantastic. I thought the players dug in really well tonight. But first half we dominated, and the second half we came under a bit of pressure, we handled it well, we looked solid in our defensive structure, and to get a clean sheet sets us up nicely for the rest of the campaign. Um, we knew we may come under pressure because obviously it's a tough place to come and quite a hostile crowd. I will say, the Parisian Ultras is something else. I don't know how much it came across on the telly, but...
1: Oh, it did. <laughs> yeah, it <laughs>
0: um it, it's really something to behold but also shout out to the to the people who made out from the Chelsea women's supporters group there was still plenty of noise coming from from over there even though it was a much smaller number um but we are going to take another quick ad break uh, when we come back we are going to talk about our goal scorer Millie Bright all right rob uh how much money are you putting on millie bright winning this uh champions league golden boot <laughs>
1: honestly it's one of those things it's it's severely tempting it's severely tempting just to stick some money on her scoring more than five if we go a long way in it, or even more than three. Um, I, I, it's, it's strange because, again, I look at... Someone said to me, you know, I think it was the best analogy I've heard from Millie Bright in a long, long time, is Millie Bright is what Harry Maguire wishes he was. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's, prob- I think, probably my favourite analogy I've heard of it. She's just so... She's so good in both boxes now. Like, there's not enough words. I, I think it was a crime she wasn't in the top ten. Of uh, you know, uh, with all due respect to Lucy Bronze, Bronze being in the top ten ahead of Millie Bright, uh, completely cheapened. I think the whole Ballon d'Or award. Um, I try not to you know get too head up on award ceremonies, but I think it's very very hard that also the youth WCL winning captain who took her nation to the final four in the Euros also apparently isn't in the top ten. But you know that's yeah enough on the Ballon d'Or. I think yeah, I think, I think Millie Bright has just been become that immense, immense player that everyone wanted, and has just become you know so so important. I would say probably for now, along with maybe Cuthbert, the first names on the team sheet every week.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, the goal was was a great finish, to be honest. I don't really understand what Di Almeida was doing, but Millie did very well. It crossed, it's a second time cross from from Aaron after the first. The corners headed away, but she does really well to get her leg up there. And I will also just shout out Sam Kerr as well because I think her run, uh, and uh, you know Kerr is obviously a great threat in in the air, and um, graskeora is marking her, and I think her kind of decoy run really allowed Millie Bright to get the the run on De Almeida, and yeah, a fantastic finish and I love her silly tattoo celebration, like where she puts her ta- like so her eyes are her tattoo. <laughs> It's, yeah, it's
1: the same one. I think. I think Kulisic does, Kulisic the same. does it too. Yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's just one of those things. I think, like you, it seems silly because people sort of talk about Ericsson and they talk about Buchanan and I think you know is a phenomenal player. I think Buchanan will turn out to be a very good sign, even though I think you know we haven't necessarily seen the best of us so far. I do feel that Millie Bright gets so tremendously like disrespected both for club and i'm gonna go as far as to say it for country like so much is made of and uh, she's a phenomenal player leah williamson is a phenomenal phenomenal defender this is not you know slandering her and saying you yeah, know she's not but i think so much of the time people look at it and just say oh, you know, it's leah williamson at the back and forget the fact that you know millie bright alongside her although she may not be technically as elegant i think that's a fair description she is probably you know i'd say pound for pound better in the air pound for pound a better one-on-one defender um and you yeah, know obviously stronger because you know I'm very sure again there's a song about her hitting bricks that I can't repeat on here but I'm sure <laughs> you know that got an airing an airing yesterday Um, uh, yeah I just you yeah, know I think she's phenomenal I, I, I really think that that'll be the biggest I think litmus test for Chelsea this season at any point would be if Millie Bright is out for a period how do they recover and how do they sort it out because they've shown they could do it when Maggie Eriksson's out last year but Millie Bright I think has a mag derrickson's i think um style of play is maybe easier to replicate than Milly. yeah
0: and i think the thing that's really exciting for millie is i just feel like she gets better every season and i totally agree about the Ballon d'Or stuff you know she obviously finished 15th which to me just is crazy for a player who basically captained her team for most of last season to the league title two fa cups won the Euros as, like, the key player for her nation to finish 15th. I think, you know, it's it's always hard when you're a centre-back. These things obviously aren't aren't yep. rated as highly, but, you know, and I think last night, obviously the goal, which is great and always just hilarious, um, but she was important defensively. Like, Khadija Buchanan, I think we did see her struggling still. The running out from the back of the ball is driving me up the wall. Um, and, and it's important for, for Bright to step up and I think, you know, the fact that she does keep improving, you know, if you were talking to me about her two or three seasons ago, I'd say, yeah, I I love Millie Bright, she's, she's great at clearances, at heading stuff away, but I feel like, you know, she's always got an error in her and she's not always amazing with the more technical aspects of defending and I think they're the two things that in the last two years it just feels like she's gone to another level technically mm. and she's really ironed I'm gonna say this now she's gonna
1: yeah not
0: before Brighton okay cancel yeah. it cancel it okay let's go on down of the match we'll go on to down of the match um for me it was Millie Bright Voting on Twitter is giving it to Aaron Cuthbert with fifty-four point two percent, Millie Bright's on forty-one, Sophie Ingalls on three point three. Rob, who who would you pick out as, as your down of the
1: match? I mean, I really want to get to Aaron Cuthbert, but I'm gonna be I'm gonna to get to the other player I thought Sophie Ingall had a phenomenal game as well. And I think, you know, maybe that didn't get as noticed as much just by how dynamic Cuthbert is, but I think a big litmus test for a few years ago, it was when Melanie Leopold plays well, Chelsea win. When she doesn't play well, they struggle. In recent years, I think, especially in big games, been when Sophie Ingle turns up in big games, Chelsea tend to win them. When she struggles in big games, they don't. And I think, yeah, I think she was excellent yesterday. Um, I think maybe, again, it's a case of managing the minutes a little bit more and managing her more so she can have a big uh, sort of major impact in big games. I don't necessarily think you need her starting, say, in a home game against Leicester, for example. Um, because Chelsea expect to dominate the ball a bit more and want to be a bit more sort of creative from the midfield. But yeah, I think you know, I think Ingle had a great game. I think to be honest, overall, you know, the entire side had a good performance, um, albeit one that people are calling boring. I think it was a you know a good game all the way around, and you probably look at everyone and say everyone gets you know seven out of ten it's because if they went and executed the game plan so well.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I think that, and that, I think that's probably why it feels boring because lots of players were seven out of tens um i think especially further forward like guru sam and neve i couldn't really fault anything of what they did but not and panila as well but when Mm. none of those players go to the next level you probably aren't gonna have like an amazing attacking performance but everyone did their job so it didn't it didn't have to matter, and I totally agree with you on Sophie as well, I think if we could get to a position where, like, seemingly we've got to with Marin, where she doesn't play that often, but when she comes in, it's like an 8-9 out of 10 performance, um, and it's totally solid, I think that would be, you know, fantastic, and I guess also, excitingly, we should say that, uh, obviously, Melanie Loipotz was out with the team in Paris with her little kitty, which was really cute, and potentially back in training, depending on how closely you want to listen to videos on Twitter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I had to get someone to explain. I, I, everyone was saying, they're shouting Melanie. And I was listening, I was like, I guess it could be that. But, you I know. thought they
1: were shouting, I be I thought they were shouting Millie. But yeah. Like, you know, I, yeah.
0: There's, anyway, she's clearly out and about and around with the, the squad and feeling good, and, and I think that's really nice to see. And it's just, you know... We all know that Chelsea are a really lovely, welcoming and friendly team, but it's, it's great to see that, you know, she's she's choosing to go on a nice... Well, he wouldn't want to go on a nice away trip to Paris, to be honest. I did the exact same thing. Um, but let's go through some of the other results in the Champions League. Uh, Juve beat Zurich 2-0. Bayern beat Rosengard 2-1, coming from behind there. Barcelona absolutely smashed Benfica 9-0. Arsenal absolutely smashed Lyon 5-1. Although I've got some thoughts about that game still. In our (laughs) group, Real Madrid beat Vlatsnia 2-0. Wolfsburg beat St. Putin 4-0. And Roma beat Slavia Prague 1-0. So... That leaves Real Madrid top of our group with three points due to the greater goal difference. Uh, Paris and Vlatsnia are both on zero. Rob, you said you were doing some scouting. What are your? Let me get some hot takes on Vlatsnia and Real Madrid, please.
1: Um, well, Real Madrid I've watched several times this season because I watched them in the game against City and I've also watched them uh, domestically once. They look a good outfit. They have a lot of physical strength um, up front. I thought Esther Gonzalez led the line very well. They've obviously got a very familiar Scottish midfielder. Um, who I won't name because I'll jinx it. And, you know, she'll inevitably score Atkins Meadow, who is you know still a very, very good player. I think that they look like they probably are going to be up and about for the top two spots in the group. I think it is a tough group for Lazio. To their credit, they look very workmanlike yesterday. They made Madrid work hard for anything. Obviously, in front of their home crowd, I think that did help. Um maybe it might be a situation where sort of the inverse almost of uh, last year when Chelsea were able to go and play very easily away against um I'm trying to think who it was who we beat 6 nil away and then only won one nil at home. So that, yeah, again, it might be a similar inverse of that where they're actually quite tough at home and maybe they're a bit easier to break down away from home. I also think, you know, if Madrid had got an earlier goal, it could have made a different game. But clearly, you know, they aren't, Sort of a whipping team, and you know, I don't think anyone at this stage is a whipping team. Like, apart from obviously, you look at that Barcelona Benfica result, and you sort of look at that and say, you "Should you know, should Benfica really be here?" But ultimately, I think that's more of a case of how good Barcelona are. And by that argument, the next biggest, you know, margins that happened of the night were Wolfsburg winning four 0 and Leon losing five one. And obviously, Leon being champions. If you're saying that, you're talk about the
0: Champions, champions League. That's what I say.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say something very rarely here. So if any Arsenal. You know, people are actually listening. Clip it now. I'm actually going to praise Arsenal here. I thought, even though Leon were obviously depleted, I thought the game plan was superb and I was delighted to actually see Frida Arnden playing in her best position for the first time in a long, long time actually being used to the best of her ability. Because, you know, one of my hot takes is that Arsenal look better when they don't necessarily have Niedemeyer in that number 10 role. And I'll stop being positive about Arsenal now because it made me feel <laughs> it. Um, but, you yeah, know, no, I think ultimately you've got to be happy after the first game. I think that's probably the... get. That game in Madrid away, the two you're really looking at and you're saying maybe four points from those, I think would be a very, very good return. It now takes the pressure off a little bit. And obviously, Vlassi at home next week, hopefully, you know, hopefully we can come into that and, you know, maybe get a few more goals, push the sort of goal difference up a bit.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think I I felt like I would have been happy to come away from this one with a draw. I think, to me, it always felt like PSG probably were the third best team of the three up there so it's pleasing to kind of get that win and and like you say take the pressure off some of those results as well because I feel like you know last year as well when we drew with Wolfsburg it kind of meant we
1: were playing that that game that game was when we lost it not not the away game at Wolfsburg the two games we lost it last year with some home games against Wolfsburg and Juve yeah Because
0: we were by far the better team as well in both those games. So to be the better team here, 1-0 win, whatever. Job done. On to Brighton. Um, A public service announcement I discovered when I was on Wikipedia earlier this week that the Crawleys' ground is no longer called the People's Pension Stadium. It is now back to the Broadfield Stadium. So will this be enough to lift the curse?
1: Well, I mean, I've decided we're renaming it the Arnold
0: <laughs> Clark. <laughs> the Arnold Clark Stadium. <laughs> <Because, laughs> Rob's, yeah, we were... Rob's brokering the
1: sponsorship deal with Arnold Clark as we speak to to get Crawley some extra money. I mean, Arnold Clark did yesterday. They did endorse my tweet yesterday about Millie Bright adding <laughs> the UWCL Golden Boot to the Arnold Clark Golden Boot. I mean, I. That's the weird one, isn't it? Like they, they were so poor last weekend. We obviously, I don't think we played badly in the game against Everton. I think, you know, we could have maybe played a little bit better, but I think you have to also acknowledge that Everton have improved a lot. Um, yeah, I think, you know, hopefully the curse will break. In in terms of changes, I'd really like to see Beth England come in and I'd like to see Kana, uh get a start. I think, you know, I feel JRK, there's going to be a game that you just unleash her after those cameo appearances. And, you know, she's just going to have a profound profound impact and I have a feeling it might be this weekend
0: yeah I would really like to see Kanarid um the England Kerr thing I'm less sure about although maybe I wouldn't be mad if they played both of them together um just because I do wonder if Sam could do with a game where it just clicks for her and but that's always I think such a personal thing for a player and and something that someone's kind of got to judge but Kanarid I think has more than deserved to start I think also this is exactly why we bought a player who's direct like her, you know, it's kind of what we said about Lauren James last season, but we didn't really see her, is that when we're struggling against these defences that, okay, Brighton aren't hard to break down against anyone else, but they're always hard to break down for us. You know, that's what you want is someone who's who's quick, who's tricky, and, you know, I think Kanarid, I, I said it on Twitter last night, like, you know, at this point in time for me, she has been the signing of the summer for us. She is the one who's who I've been most in, impressed by, who's performed the best, who... Is kind of like making me look up in the kind of drab last fifteen minutes of of boring games. So yeah, I'd be mm. really excited to see what what could happen from from her starting. Um, but fingers crossed, we win away at Brighton. Never know; it does occasionally happen, uh, very occasionally. Um, so Brighton on Sunday at six forty five UK time. Then we have Vlatsny at Kings Meadow on on Wednesday at eight o'clock before Aston Villa at home as well. And then it's Man United away, I guess. Is, I guess Aston Villa is kind of a tricky game now, um, before the international break. So they're the next four games. So I think Bryson and Vlasnia could be, fingers crossed, two good confidence-boosting games before we head into two maybe... Maybe trickier games. Um, but mm. Rob, any final thoughts before we head
1: off? No, I think that's uh, covered again. I, you know, I was, it's strange. I was more nervous about Brighton than I was Paris Saint-Germain. And I think that sums up Chelsea Football Club in a the same way. I was more nervous about a home game against Wolves than I was about away at AC Milan.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, it's classic, you know, that Chelsea vibe. That's what we talk about. Club culture. Being rubbish against rubbish teams <laughs> across the men's and the women's and that will wrap us up nicely I think for this episode, we will be back after the Brighton game to find out if the curse is broken, someone on Discord was say suggesting that I might be part of the curse and I shouldn't go, but tough luck I am going, I will be there at the Broadfield Stadium and we will be back on Monday to talk all about it, but until then Chelsea fans, you know what to do, keep the blue flag flying high